One Week Season. fam welcome back to the reflection pod a space where we become better more profitable dfs players together i'm your host b fritz 12 and i am uh excited interested uh yeah this week's gonna be fun to talk about maybe not so fun to look back on uh especially if we're looking at our bankrolls judging by the energy in the reflection channel in OWS Discord. Uh, pretty rough in there. You know, I'm one of those guys who can walk into a room and immediately feel the energy of the room. That reflection channel energy was pretty intense today and last night. <laughs> uh, in general, it wasn't a good week at OWS, but, 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 those are results, and we've got a lot to cover as it pertains to those. So what I've got on the docket today is uh, to talk a little bit more about some of the things that I've been talking about recently in terms of letting this slate come to you. I have some really specific thoughts about why that was helpful. And if you struggled on the main slate this weekend, I think you'll be interested in that. I want to talk a little bit about ownership and leverage because we've had we talked a little bit about this last week and playing chalk and when you should and not overthinking it this week is similar yet with a little bit of a different twist so we're going to look at that and talk about Miami Detroit and how we could have should have approached the uh, popular game of the slate amongst other things we're going to be talking about Ellinger uh Van Jefferson, all the things here. And then we're also going to talk about struggling. And if you're in a rut, again, we've talked about this a little bit here and there over the past few weeks, but we are midway through the season at this point. And if you've had a few rough weeks, it's probably feeling really frustrating. And so while I talked about some of this last week, I'm going to hit on some different points and some points that were brought up specifically by you all in Discord. I think it's going to be really helpful. I talked about some of this stuff last year. Uh, I feel really strongly about what to do when you're in a rut. So if all of that sounds good, turn this baby on 1.5x speed and buckle in. I should also mention before I jump into talking about some of the strategy pieces for this week and reflecting on them, things we can learn. Thank you for those of you who sent in your rosters. I've got a few that I'm going to review at the end of the pod today, so stick around for those. Just a reminder for those of you in OWS Discord, feel free to shoot me those in the uh, reflection channel chat. Tag me, make sure that I see it, uh, make sure that I know you want me to review it on here, or just shoot me a, via personal message, that works too. Um, so yeah, we'll get to those at the end. But diving into strategy pieces, and 
we're going to start here with what I've been talking about the past few weeks. Uh, letting the slate come to you. I've used this term a couple times. I clarified a little bit last week about what that means. I'm specifically going to talk about why that was instrumental for me this weekend. Now, instrumental is a uh, rough term because I still did not have a good weekend, <laughs> but I'm going to talk about it from a process standpoint and a feeling good standpoint because many of you, as I saw in the Reflection Channel, were feeling pretty not good uh, yesterday and today. Uh, bitter comes to mind. Frustrated, definitely. I didn't feel that way. And I that's that's really good as a DFS player, right? Because so much of this game is mental, emotional, and it's so easy to have those things affect your play. These are massive energy leaks when it comes to what you're doing. I'm going to get into the specifics of that when we talk about struggling and what to do when you're in a rut. Uh, but just kind of want to preface that this alone for me was a win this week in terms of my process and how I approached the slates overall. So here's the thing about myself as a player and what I know about myself as a player. And I always talk about how knowing who you are as a player is absolutely critical to your DFS play. It's foundational in order for you to put yourself in the best position to succeed and to be profitable over time. For myself, I've, again, I've talked about this a little bit with the slate conversation, uh, but I really struggle when there's too many plays on the main slate and good plays, right? We talked about this at OWS over last week, so I'm not going to talk about who those plays are necessarily, but there's a lot. There were a lot of good plays. Uh, we had a handful of pay up running backs who were actually legit this week. It wasn't just one. It wasn't just two. It was a handful. Um, we had cheap guys. We had like, we had everything. There were so many ways you could go here, which is kind of ironic given that we didn't have uh, a, a lot of really alluring game environments. But nonetheless, there were a lot of ways to build this weekend. Now, for some people, that might work well. For me, that is not good. <laughs> uh, essentially, what it comes down to for me is that, especially this is as a, uh, you know, I, I call myself a single entry player. The reality of it is that I put in a handful of rosters that are essentially permutations of uh, a pretty small player pool. So while I'm not just entering one, I am still entering a small amount of rosters relative to many of you and, uh, you know, a lot of DFS players. For me, I just do, don't do well when there are too many moving pieces. I've talked about this in terms of why I, I like small slates. In this particular case, on this particular weekend, that was definitely the, the case for me on the main slate this week. I did play a couple lineups, um, not a huge chunk of my bankroll, just wanted, I, I usually like to do that just to kind of flex the muscles, you know, try to do a couple reps. Uh, I'm not too worried about winning as much as I am, hey, how is my thought process here? Can I still build a plus EV lineup even when I don't feel really great about it? 
And that piece is really important to be able to identify when you know you aren't building in a plus EV way. That is another crucial piece of DFS that many players just, they don't have that ability because they're like, well, I budget $200 to play on the main slate every week. And so, you know, I got to, I got to get to that budget. I got to hit my, my bankroll for the week. That's what I budgeted. So there we go. We got to hit that. And it's just easy to play because we feel like we have to in terms of money or in terms of on the main slate, um, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit. So, you know, you enter your, the same contests you do every week. And I just really strongly want to caution against that. You know, I've been speaking pretty strongly to that in terms of um, not just sticking to the main slate, but even when it comes to your contest selection and things like that, don't do the same exact things every week just because that's what you do. It is important to know the contests that are plus EV and the ones that you play well and to kind of um, build a strategy for those over time. You don't necessarily want to always be bouncing around between different contests. That's not good either. But the point is, this is what I mean when I say let the slate come to you. Let that dictate where you're entering uh, your your bets, right? Your, your bankroll, um, whether that's in different contests on the main slate or whether that's on different slates and not on the main slate like it was for me. Now, I mentioned how important this is to be able to identify when I'm not building in a plus EV way. What does that mean? How do you identify this? Well, for one, you just kind of know after years of playing, if you're being honest with yourself, that's kind of uh, first and foremost. It's a gut feeling. And you know on a Saturday if you are really starting to force things, right? Because you'll start to get a little bit frustrated. You, you know, you'll keep ending up without a lineup that you feel really good about, or you can't quite make salary work. I mean, I know I was sitting on the couch crying to my wife about how I kept hitting $100 left. and <laughs> uh, But then you, then you go and you make a, a negative EV play because you still feel like you had to get something in, right? But you totally shift the way your lineup is constructed or you just plug in the next guy that's 200, 200 bucks cheaper or whatever. So really noticing that for yourself is key. Noticing how you're feeling on a Friday night, going into a Saturday, whenever it is that you really start to lock in lineups, notice how you're feeling. If you are feeling frustrated and kind of uncomfortable with where your lineups sit, that's a good sign that you aren't playing in a plus EV way. And again, I'm just kind of giving the high level here. You have to work on what that means for yourself. So for me, I broke it down by, so like I said, too many moving pieces for me on the main slate. So I broke it down by playing, by looking at first before I was just saying, okay, well, I'm playing early and I'm playing late. I always play around with each slate. And on the early slate, I really loved how the slate, that slate set up because I could play Miami and Detroit, and I could play Thielen and Irv, which is a, a block of players I really liked in that game. I really didn't care about anybody else from that game. 
And then also as a leverage point, I wanted to play Eagles defense. So right then and there, I felt really, really good about what I could get onto one roster. I didn't have to worry about CMC. I didn't have to worry about Derrick Henry. I didn't have to worry about freaking Ellinger. Ellinger, I believe, is how it's pronounced, as long as the the announcers I was listening to are saying it right. Um, (laughs) So this is an example of those pieces just fell into place for me. It was so easy to put that together. Now, as I said, results didn't really bear out for me this weekend. Um, I did have some decent lineups, but overall, down on the weekend, barely won anything or cashed in anything, I should say. Uh, So not a good slate for me. But I felt really good about how that slate just fell together for me. It was very easy. It was very flowy. It didn't mean that I didn't have to think about it or how I wanted to build those lineups, but it was very easy to put together something that I felt really good about and that felt plus EV to me. On the late slate, I was like, "Eh, I don't even know if I'm going to play that much in the late slate because I feel so good about how this early slate sets up for how I'm seeing things. And after looking at it, I was like, this is actually pretty cool because I like Elnger enough. I think, you know, at his price, like you just take that because the floor and ceiling for that is, is just, you know, he's mispriced is really what it came down to. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about him specifically as we go here, but I love paying down for him, paired him with Alec Pierce and just went to town essentially because I liked Van Jefferson. I liked Wandale Robinson and I really loved the ceilings of these elite running backs. So I was able to put together lineups where I could jam those guys in and feel pretty decent about the other guys that I had in my lineup. Now, did it work out? No. Uh, I actually had uh, a lineup that I cashed in the afternoon slate where I had Derrick Henry and I had Christian McCaffrey and Seahawks D. And so I was able to get in the money in a small field, but the, the other guys did absolutely nothing. But again, this is what I wanted to bet on on this particular slate. But because I was in the late slate here, I didn't have to think about Miami, Detroit. I didn't have to think about Arizona, Minnesota. So do you notice how I got rid of pieces to figure out where to put them? It's like doing a puzzle with less pieces, literally. Uh, It just makes it a little bit easier. It's like shooting at a target but you're moving a little bit closer to it you're like it's just easier because there aren't so many moving pieces now uh, again i'm just going to say this a couple times i'm speaking specifically for my play style but i do think that for a lot of you it's similar and i do think that uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more coming up but just a little teaser it's good to take some of that pressure off of feeling like you have to get everything right and nail those things down. And on a week like this, where there are so many high scores, you do have to get everything right and you do have to be nearly perfect. 
And that can be really, really demoralizing. So that's how I approach things. As I said, I felt really good about my rosters, even in hindsight, even after the results. And that's a huge difference between that and feeling like, oh my gosh, I've got just, you know, I could have done this completely different or I should have swapped this, you know, 4v4 out and, um, you know, going through that whole thing on a week like this is just, yeah, throws you for such a loop. So, uh, yeah, apparently that's a drum I'm going to keep banging. Uh, admittedly, it's because it's part of my personal process, but I really, really feel strongly that playing on the main slates again, at least exclusively, but even heavily, uh, is really just not going to be plus EV for a lot of people because unless you are one of the players that is very good at navigating lots of moving pieces, it can be overwhelming. Okay, enough of that. Moving on to ownership and leverage. So I want to talk about ownership, not because I was necessarily planning on talking about it, but because I saw a little bit more discussion about this in the Reflection channel this week and just seems like something that is a continual struggle. So we talked about it last week for myself and how I just totally bombed on the Josh Jacobs thing and how for me, just an inexcusable miss really um, based on how long I've been playing DFS. And it's, it's just one of those things that isn't necessary. If you missed that, essentially that's because and I I think it's really good to get away from these words, and I think we're doing that at OWS. Um, but things like good chalk, bad chalk is is simply is simply too simplistic. It just isn't a good way to describe plays. So Josh Jacobs, you could term him quote unquote good chalk, but the bigger reason was that. He was just such a great play um, from a value standpoint in a matchup. Like all the things were pointing his direction and there were plenty of ways to differentiate yourself. And specifically at running back, it's uh, you can take those plays where they're going to be 30 percent owned and you can differentiate elsewhere. And, and it's easy. It's very, very easy. You don't have to do anything super off the board. All you really need is one different stack. Um, but even that, I'm not going to go too deep in the weeds there, but let's take that and roll into this weekend. <clears throat> so Miami at Detroit was kind of the big decision point this week. We talked a lot at OWS this week about how Ellinger was the decision point, but I really think that this game was truly it. And here, here's the thing. So I've, because I love this team and this combo, this offense coming into the year. And it's been everything I'd hoped and more. <laughs> um, Tua, Tyreek, and Waddle themselves are a really solid block of players. And then you add Mostert to this offense. And you have all of the touches on this high upside offense going to these guys. Now, we did also talk a little bit, I believe it was Hilo, I think on the Slate podcast, who was talking about how um, they 
they they aren't scoring that highly. Um, so there's a little bit of a misconception there, but they are a um an offense that can rack up points and specifically DFS points because of the way that they play and because of the condensed nature of this offense. Now, I'm going to say something here that, I don't know, maybe it'll be controversial. Maybe it won't. Uh, You can tell me in the reflection thread, I guess. You can at me. (laughs) But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if you are not playing at least one dolphin in this spot, that feels like a miss. I was waiting, waiting to see if I could hear any responses there. No, none. Okay. Uh, why? So you, if you were not doing that, and I'm saying at least one, if, if you're not playing two of them, because you have to be able to have a justification for why not. And I'm, I'm saying this because I think this is a really good opportunity to assess play and process on this week from a certainty standpoint from a floor and ceiling standpoint from a game environment standpoint the miami offense was just in an elite spot there's so much certainty here there's so many guaranteed points that not having at least one if not two of these guys to me, it just doesn't make sense, at least in small fields. I think, you know, it's different if you're going into large fields, different if you're playing, you know, 50 lineups, 100 lineups, 150 lineups. That's obviously different. But for the the many of you that are playing a, a smaller amount of lineups, um, I think it's, it was really, really sharp to be playing at least one of these guys again because of their floor and ceiling, because of their value, because of their matchup, because of the game environment. To me, this goes in the same bucket as me not playing Josh Jacobs last week, right? This is a similar thing here, but this is even was even in a better spot because you could have a block of players and there was just there was next to no way that that was going to fail. Um, certainly from a floor standpoint and then especially or also from a ceiling standpoint, if this game started to go back and forth a little bit. So just some thoughts on that offense there, which let's zoom out from that game this week. And just in general, talk about, you know, you, you cause you could easily say, Ben, well, you know, Tyreek was going to be 25% owned or Waddle was going to be 20% owned. 2-0 was going to be 15. Like, I don't, I don't know what these guys ended up being. Um, I don't have that in front of me currently, but the point being, when should I play these guys? When should I not? When should I play these stacks? The question is, when should we be focusing on ownership and when should we not? This is really important. Now, I just want to give a shout out to Mike Johnson here, who has recently, I feel like, uh, been a little bit more outspoken about how he feels about ownership and how it really should not be, um, I mean, certainly not our first line of thinking, but not even necessarily our second or our third or our fourth. Like, it's just not that important. What is important is building great lineups. But I think it'd be helpful to set some kind of like ground rules here. 
And a couple of notes that I wrote down are we don't need to run away from players that are 15 to 20 percent owned. Like you just don't. If somebody's 20 percent owned, that may be relatively high, but that's not that high owned. I mean, we've had guys in the past who were 60 percent owned, you know, running backs going 60 percent owned or. Um, you know, even this year, we've had tight ends and defenses, 40% owned, like those situations start to get a little bit different. But if you are worried about Tyreek Hill at 25% or Waddle at 20%, Moster at 20%, oh, me last week with Josh Jacobs at 30, 35%, uh, it just doesn't matter. We're zooming in and focusing. It's very myopic. We are, we've put the blinders on. We're focusing on one specific metric, one specific number, and it just doesn't matter that much. Now, what is important is leverage. Again, something that is talked about at OWS quite a bit. This is why JM and Hilo harp on leverage so much because it's not straight up ownership numbers. This is knowing when, if one lever doesn't get pulled down, if it gets pushed up and said, what the other one is going to do and how you can jump the field with that. That's, again, different than looking simply at ownership. So this is one just because I feel like I didn't identify anything quite like this this weekend, but last weekend, a good example of that was you had this combination of C.D. Lamb and the Jets defense. So kind of like pay up ish receiver, mid range receiver, pay down defense with and then on the flip side, the leverage that I really identified and really liked was Zeke and Cowboys D. There's a direct correlation. Like I said, JM talks about this all the time. Hilo talks about this in the end around. There's a direct correlation of failure of one side of this equation leading to success or, you know, very likely potential success of the other side of this equation. Those things are important. Leverage is far more important than ownership. But then still, just in general, if we zoom out, the chances of you putting together a roster with your own unique brain in a way that is really smart, that is telling a specific story that isn't just throwing the best plays of the week onto a roster that is almost always going to lead to a good lineup. When you are doing those things, when you're telling a story, when you are looking at correlations, when you have you know a main stack to your lineup and then a skinny stack uh, in good game environments with good offenses, with guys that maybe are not the star players of their team, but have the potential because of the team they're on, and they do have some touchdown equity, but the field's not quite on them because they're on the other guy. Like those are the things that will allow you to build sharp plus EV lineups. 
I think it's one of those things where we just need to take a collective like inhale and exhale it all out. Ownership doesn't matter. Let it go. That's as much for me as it is for you. Like I said, you know, with the Josh Jacobs thing last week, just forget about it. Forget about it. If you're doing the other things right, it isn't going to matter that much. Now, I'm going to throw one little wrench in this, not to confuse you, but to kind of leave you with, if I don't feel super strongly about plays on a slate, and this is more for like showdown or something like that, where if I don't feel really strongly about it, or if I'm looking at two guys um, on a given week, you know, two receivers who I feel have similar projections and one of them is more, you know, 25% owned, the other guy is 10% owned. That is how I use ownership. That's when ownership matters to me is because I think it's kind of a toss up coin flip, but I will side with the lower ownership guy. Again, as long as he's on a roster that is telling a story that makes sense. That is how using ownership can be used to your advantage. But don't start your lineups there. Use that as um, kind of a last last little piece or a bit of a tweak. I'll leave ownership there for now. Uh, do feel free to hit me up in the Reflection channel or shoot me a personal message on Discord if you have more comments, questions, concerns about any of that. Um, I don't claim to... Uh, know everything. So I'm always happy to engage in conversations, whether you agree, disagree, have questions, etc. All right, let's get to the the mindset piece of our podcast today. Are you struggling? Do you feel like you are stuck in a rut? Because this segment here is for you. In all seriousness, though, uh, I just feel so passionate about this conversation and about the importance of mental, emotional uh, state in DFS, in life in general, but especially as it pertains to DFS, it's just such an important piece of our play. And this week, it feels kind of like a, a fork in the road because we are halfway through the season. You are either having a decent season an awesome season, which is always going to be the the few. <laughs> um, the, then there's probably, like I said, a handful of us having a an okay season, some ups and downs. Um, maybe you're about break even. Maybe you're a little bit down on the year, but not too bad. And then there's the uh, the less fortunate who are just really having a rough go of it. Um, maybe you've lost a good chunk of your bankroll. Uh, for any of you who were with me at this point last year, you will know that uh, in week nine of last year was when I lost what I had allocated as my bankroll for the entire season. So I'm not going to go into that now, but basically was very open about that. And yeah, how it just was a complete mindfuck, basically, because I had never had nine straight weeks of losing. Didn't think it could ever happen, and it did. Um, but the point being is that we've had you know a good chunk of football now in this season in 2022. There's a good chunk left to go, but if you are not having 
the uh, or the momentum that you would think you would at this point you know you've probably put in a lot of work you're you're reading everything you're consuming everything on OWS you're engaged um you know you've uh, done some of the courses maybe even multiple times and you're feeling really good about things but things just still aren't coming together for you and i'm actually going to quote somebody from the reflections thread earlier uh shout out to sean hackbarth here hope you don't mind me sharing this brother but uh i think there's a lot of people feeling the same way as you so i'm gonna go ahead and do that now says honestly i don't know where to go from here i feel like my lineups are plus ev but do we really know that how do i know i'm playing better eventually it has to mean a bigger bankroll right when does that happen it's week eight is now the time to reevaluate contest selection and process if so how do i go about that and then he shared a lineup. Yeah, I mean, this is it, right? I think you really just hit on all the things, brother. So like I said, that's why I want to share um, because I don't think you're alone. In fact, I know you're not alone. So I first just want to preface this all by feeling frustrated is a really great way to start doing rash things and those things don't lead to dfs goodness they do not lead to fun they do not lead to profit um so just that's kind of the entry point here so with that though uh let's talk a little bit more strategically what does that actually mean from a process standpoint, what does that mean from a week-to-week standpoint? So there's a couple things that I think are pretty important to go through here. Now, apparently this is a important and important podcast here because I feel like I've said the word important, critical, crucial multiple times, um, which is unfortunate because then that starts to water down every next time I say it. Um, but the, the foundational elements here that I see, and this is from a lot of experience, this is not because I'm perfect, but because I've failed plenty. I have a lot of experience feeling frustrated. Uh, what are these things? So first and foremost, do not completely change up your process. Now, this is a blanket statement, of course, so uh, got to make that disclaimer. But for the vast majority of you, if you are doing those things that I'd mentioned, uh, you're, you're reading all the content, you're reading the edge, you're in here in Discord, um, you're listening to uh, the, the Slate podcast, maybe you're Inner Circle and you're listening to the Winner Circle podcast. If you're doing all those things and you are putting concerted effort into your process and building lineups each week, it is highly unlikely that you need to completely change up your process. Now, with that, you could possibly make tweaks. I like to talk about things in terms of energy leaks. What is leaking in your process? And the best way to do this is to start from a completely bird's eye view, all the way zoomed out. Look at your week. What is going well for you? 
what is not going well. Just take stock in your process, break it down by each day, break it down by each task. You can slowly drill down into each thing, but start high level, start all the way up at the top. And you might just right away be able to pick out, you know what? I read this content, I listen to this content, and I do this other thing on Saturdays, and man, I just feel like I'm trying to cram too much in, and I don't get enough time to build lineups. Bam, there you go. Drop one of those things, the least efficient one, the least effective one, and move on. That's a tweak, right? Those are the types of things that are going to be beneficial for you at this point. It's more of a trimming the fat type of situation than it is uh, getting a whole new steak. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know I was going there with that metaphor, but um, so that's number one. Number two, do have a bit of fun and take some pressure off. Now, you need to figure out what this looks like for you For me, again, this is something that I talked about at this point last year when I was like, holy shit, uh, I don't have any more funds. I am completely demoralized with (laughs) like how, you know, how this season has gone and what is even happening. I took one week almost completely off because, you know, which one of us can actually take a, a full week off, right? We're all DGENs here. Uh, so I think I entered just like a handful of really small dollar lineups that week. And it was like purely for fun, right? Like I had a high level idea of the games kind of just like looked over things, didn't make any real notes or anything. And, um, yeah, just made some lineups for fun. And, you know, of course, actually had some decent ones there. I don't remember, I like no noticeable, notable finishes or anything there. Um, but it was a better week than the weeks leading up to it. So, you know, it always happens on those weeks where your uh, investment is far lower. But the point of it there is that I was loose, right? I was loose. I was shaking it out. I was letting it go. I was I wasn't letting the the season the results to that point, the financial side of things, the just a straight up psychological uh, taking nine straight L's like I wasn't I'd let go of all that. I was like, all right, this is where we're at. I'm letting it go because it's in the books, right? Like it doesn't do me any good to hold on to this. And from there, I just kind of shook it out and was like, all right, have a little fun this week. I don't really care about playing. I'm not going to read content. I'm not going to do, you know, any of this stuff. And I'll just play a little bit just because I love football and I love DFS. And that's what I did. I did something kind of similar the next week then. A little bit more intention, um, but still didn't put a bunch of pressure on myself. I tried some things and I got on with the rest of my season. This piece, this element of having some fun and taking the pressure off is just really crucial. Um, DFS is both an art and a science and trying to produce something when you're in this kind of state of frustration and tension is just not going to produce what you want. 
So backing off a little bit, like I said, you figure out what that looks like for you. Maybe that's taking a week completely off. Maybe that's taking two weeks completely off. Uh, the end of the season will always be there. Don't worry. Um, you figure out what that looks like for you. Fun and creativity opens things up. Uh, I would highly suggest also playing more slates. Like, uh, again, this is this is my thing, apparently, now my my MO, but um, just do it for fun. Do play all the slates, play all one dollar stuff like you don't have to be investing in these things in any real way. Just do it for fun or don't. Like I said, don't if you don't, you know, you don't feel like it. And that's not what is what for what is going to work for you. Um, but try. I would say try that, you know, play some short slates, play some showdowns, play some flash drafts. There's there's honestly no better way, I feel like, than to to like take it easy and take the pressure off than just like fucking around with some flash drafts while you're watching the island game even though they suck and because they suck really uh so yeah just that's something i would try in general scaling back your play from a dollar standpoint is almost always the route to go here um so i just highly suggest that piece uh, consider what that looks like for you i know it can be hard and scary a little bit in nfl because it's like oh man well one week out of the season is a pretty big chunk and so that's you know i'm not going to be able to it's, it's one week that i'm not going to be able to realize my edge right so i know that i've fallen into that before i know that that mindset can be really difficult but uh i'm just going to offer that the long-term effects of doing that will be will, will far outweigh taking a week off or at least um quite scaled back finally Another thing that I think is really good for this, uh, this syndrome is playing more lineups with less players. What do I mean by that? So I'm going to give Mike Johnson credit for both of the pieces of this statement, actually. Less players. Something he's been harping on a lot recently is make your player pool, player pool smaller. When you're... When you have such a large player pool, yes, you give you start to hedge um, and you get a little bit of money on everybody, but then you also spread yourself out and now you don't really have a chance for ceiling. So it's very easy to do this because of FOMO. On a week like this past week, as I kind of started the pod, it's easy to do that because there are just guys who are in good spots. Um, but by by shrinking your player pool you actually give yourself a shot to succeed and for your, your bets to hit so that's one piece of it the other piece is play more lineups um, something that mike johnson said i believe it was last year was kind of in the same conversation uh specifically as sean hackbarth put it i feel like my lineups are plus ev but do we really know that how do i know i'm playing better this is one of the best things you can do for that. And this is why I talk about playing more slates because you can realize your edge more. But it's the same thing with, you know, even if you're not playing more slates, just playing more lineups gives you a chance to 
realize your edge. So if you're playing a small amount of lineups, and this was kind of where I had been at, and this is something that I've changed a little bit second half of last season and and in this year, is I'm not just playing one lineup. I'm not just playing three lineups. I'm playing, like I said, a, a handful, right? You know, so anywhere from, depending on the week, from six to a dozen to... Um, I'm not I'm usually not playing more than that on one slate, but um, but but per- permutations of a couple bets. So that's where the less player piece comes in. My player pool is still small. I just have permutations of how those things could um, succeed. But playing more lineups is just so sharp because you give yourself a a greater. Um, or you're you're changing the time horizon in which you can realize your edge. So you're you're condensing that as opposed to having it really long and spread out, kind of like NFL is set up, especially if you are a single entry or just like low entry player in general. So I think the example Mike Johnson used was something like if you're entering a $20 single entry contest, take those $20 and enter one dollar contests um you don't and you don't even have to do that with 20 max you can do the one dollar hundos you can do they even have like um like one dollar just like it's like generic nfl contest and it has like 118 like if you scroll all the way down in tournaments so stuff like that is really good um not only to start having fun not only to start to let your creativity take over a little bit but also to realize your edge more because um, you're just giving yourself more of a shot. Now, if you are already entering a ton of lineups and you are still not feeling plus EV and having a hard time figuring out if you're getting better, et cetera, um, that's a little bit harder. You, you can't really uh, fix that with this particular um, item I mentioned here. But those are the things that uh, have worked for me that I feel pretty strongly about based on, like I said, my own experience, but also the experience of these other guys. And uh, quite frankly, guys smarter than me, like Mike Johnson and and fam. So, yeah, that's there on struggling. OK, we are pushing time here, so we're going to leave that and move on to our fluke or fail segment, which is going to be interesting this week because we have some specific players to talk about. Um, looking at you, Ellen Gurr. Van Jefferson. Yep, you're in the room, too. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about a couple of guys specifically because they were, you know, guys we were talking about around OWS as well as just our general guys here. I'm going to kind of uh, fly through these a little bit because I do still want to review the rosters that I had. So I've got a couple of those. Um, so let's get her going. Ellinger. Okay. Here's the thing with Ellinger guys. He was mispriced. He was fundamentally mispriced for his role as a starting quarterback. And as noted across OWS for his play style, the type of quarterback that he is. However, all of that said, and I think something that can be a struggle with content sites is that when, because this goes for Van Jefferson too, so we're going to talk about something similar in 
uh, in that conversation. Just because we're talking about somebody, just because somebody is a, a good play from a value standpoint, from a floor and ceiling standpoint, does not mean they are a lock. And that nuance in expectation is what separates sharp players from the rest of the field and being able to understand that. So it's, it's more, it's far more about understanding that and acknowledging that and getting there mentally, emotionally than it is of taking a stand of playing these guys or not playing these guys. That's not what it's about with guys like this. You have to know what you're getting. So for example, the Colts offense this year has been hashtag not good. You, if you were expecting this guy to step in and go 300 for three and rush for 50 yards and maybe a touchdown, you just weren't thinking straight. That was not what was going to happen here, right? Matt Ryan was not the only problem with this offense. Uh, th- it just has not looked good. They have not been uh, on not only not on firing on all cylinders, they've been, you know, not even firing on a couple. You got JT, who is, you know, was the number one pick in fantasy leagues this year, and he hasn't done shit. And it's not because he sucks. It's not because Matt Ryan sucks. It's because his offense sucks altogether. For whatever reason, it's just not working. So what do we, so like when we're talking about expectations, personally, I feel like something like 250 and two touchdowns, and maybe you get 20 or 30 rushing yards on the ground, uh, is a ceiling, right? Like that is his ceiling in this situation in his first game in this offense against a team who, yeah, sure isn't good, but they also don't have the absolute worst defense. They're not the lions. Cause I think that would have been a different situation. Uh, that's, that's a ceiling for him. Again, this is my opinion. So take it for what it's worth, but um, that's 21 DraftKings points. And I'm saying that because even if you just round that down to 20 points, if you're getting that with him, you're happy. Now, this is a ceiling we're talking about here. The chances of him hitting between 10 and 15 points is quite a bit more likely, right? Um, So I think it's just one of those things where, and it's hard, right? Because as a content site, we're talking about this guy because he is a good value, but it doesn't mean he's a a smash play. That just means you take the value, you take the mispricing, and you move on. So just some thoughts there. I don't think he was necessarily as frustrating to everybody as Van Jefferson, who um, kind of became hot at the end of the week. I think Hilo mentioned him on the pod, and that's this is not uh, putting Hilo out there, hanging him out to dry. This is, uh, I thought it was actually a very sharp call, and I was very excited about it once he had mentioned it. Um, allowed me to get to some things, as I mentioned, on those uh, late slate rosters, paying up for these high-priced running backs and Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey, who combined for 80 points, by the way. Um, so, again, same conversation. You have to know what you're getting. You have to set your expectations. It didn't mean he was a smash play, right? He was min-priced in a good game environment, on an offense that has been struggling or hasn't looked like themselves, but still has upside. 
he Van Jefferson, when he's healthy, he has a legit upside role in this offense. And he actually has a a decent-ish floor for the type of player that he is. He's not just like a straight up Deshaun Jackson or something like that. So um, the, the real problem here is that there were unknowns and there was coach speak. And we probably didn't build that into the conversation enough. Um, but again, we're trying to capitalize on those things. And so if you are playing Van Jefferson, you are taking those things on. It's, it's your choice to do that. You have to know that you're playing him partially because of the unknowns and because there is some coach speak going on. In this particular situation, you just got the wrong side of the stick. We all did. I played him. I pretty much locked him in on, on my afternoon slate lineups on both DraftKings and I think I played him a little bit on FanDuel too. Maybe, maybe not. I don't remember. But anyways, uh, I think it was still a, a good play, all things considered. Just rough, <laughs> just rough. Okay, the the rest of the uh, 30 plus squad here as we do every week, if this is your first time in this segment, we look at guys who scored a 30 or more. And this week we'll be looking at guys who scored 40 or more also. Starting with, oh, which by the way, before, before we go down the list here, we have 11 guys who scored over 30 points and then we have three who scored over 40. All right, number one, Mr. Alvin Kamara, 7,100, uh, scored a whopping 42.8 points. Yeah, it was talked about on the site this week. Uh, I think it might have been Hilo who was who wrote up this game and said that, you know, he's essentially back in his uh, the role that we always loved him in and probably even better, honestly, because of the volume he's getting on the ground uh, in this game it was go game environment had every reason to believe that he could be a great play. So I definitely think that uh, somebody like me who really wasn't considering him much at all, a bit of a fail, maybe I did like him uh, just the way that pricing and things set up how I was playing the uh, the early slate. I just didn't get him in, but I think he was a really strong play. Number two, we've got A.J. Brown at 42.6 points, 0.2 under Mr. Alvin Kamara. Uh, A.J. Brown, I have a question for you, my friends. Are you kicking yourself for playing A.J. Brown, or excuse me, for not playing A.J. Brown this weekend? If so, Why? I'm genuinely curious. I would love to know your thoughts. Hit me up in Discord. Because I saw a couple of people who were kicking themselves about it or what it seemed like kicking kicking themselves. I personally, he wasn't on my short list. Like, he was nowhere near my final player pool. Now, this is a play style thing, so just know that going in, but... Yes, he's A.J. Brown. He is very capable of these games at any time. But in this offense and at a game environment that really probably wasn't going to be um, competitive, it's really, really hard to determine when he's going to have these smash bots because Devontae Smith gets his um, Dallas Goddard. Really hasn't too much yet, but he's, you know, he's there. Obviously, Miles Sanders has been much more involved. Uh, Jalen Hurts can run it on the ground. So, like, 
and this defense is just so locked down and they are producing points. So um, identifying when it's an A.J. Brown game is really difficult. And I think if the game environment were better, if they had another team on the other side of the ball who might be able to push them, then I think it might have been a mistake or a miss to not play him in the what we would say the fail category. But uh, I, I really don't think he was an outright fail if you didn't play him or if you're like me and didn't have him on your short list at all. Christian McCaffrey, 40.26. Oh, man, dude is good. Uh, I was pretty ready for this one because I figured, yes, give him one week where he's just kind of getting acclimated. And in this offense, he's going to be uh, insane for the rest of this year. His floor and ceiling is just ridiculous. He is the best running back now in the NFL from a DFS standpoint and probably just a raw standpoint, football standpoint going forward. So yeah, he's going to be a regular, I would imagine in this space. Uh, I mean, just major props to this dude, right? Throws one, catches one, runs one in. What a, what a dog. Uh, Moving on to Derek Henry, 38.8. Yeah. I mean, this was the spot that Josh Jacobs smashed in last week. Did you really think that the Houston defense was going to be able to stop him? No way. Absolutely no way. Yes, he was pricey for his role, but there was, I literally wrote this in my notes. I was like, is there a world in which he goes for less than 150 and two? And I legitimately don't think there was. <laughs> like, it just was not going to happen against this absolute, you know, Swiss cheese run defense of, <clears throat> um, the Texans, especially in a situation where Malik Willis is coming in. He's a little bit more dynamic. Actually think that opened up Henry a little bit more to what he could do. So, yeah, fully, you know, not a surprise there. Uh, Derek Henry, but think it's a little bit of a miss if he was not in your player pool. least I don't, you know, definitely not bad if you didn't pull the trigger on him, but should have been considered. All right, DeAndre Hopkins at 36.9. Man, I'm kicking myself a little bit for this one. I will chalk that up to a fail for myself because he was not on my short list. Um, yeah, I, and this is, <laughs> you, you guys got to understand, I think DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers in NFL history. Like, I, I played receiver in high school. Yeah, I'm not going back to any, like, that wasn't that good, guys. Um, but I've always loved the receiving position and I feel like I have an eye for good receivers. I mean, this guy just does everything right. He's truly the goat. And yeah, I should have been chomping at the bit to play him when he came back. And I didn't play him last week. didn't play him this week. Why? Sometimes my own, uh, I just get too cute for my own good, right? In this game environment and after his usage last week, we could have seen this coming. So, yeah, fail on my part. I don't know about you, but not so great for me. Tony Pollard, 36.7. Oh, man, we had to put two guys back to back that I failed on. So, again, just got a little bit too cute here. The the real reason for me was that um, I was really pretty set on playing Mostert at 5,900. So that's kind of where he slotted in. Um, I was playing some Dante Foreman. So 
I mean, yeah, you'd probably call me an idiot now if I was considering Foreman over over Pollard as my second running back. But um, yeah, the the way that my lineups worked out, I just didn't have him in there. But that's on me. That's a miss. That's a fail. He was in a great spot against the Bears, uh, getting a lion's share of the carries and the work here in that backfield, a team that uh, is going to keep it on the ground when they can. Smash play. Smash play. All right. We don't have too many flukes so far here. We don't have any. Dante Foreman. Oh, there we go. 34.8 at 5,300. Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't expect him to score this amount of points. Three rushing touchdowns. Uh, You know, we're talking about a team that Christian McCaffrey just left and wasn't doing anything on. And let me get it straight. It was not him at all. Uh, Matt Rule being out of there is the best thing that could have happened for the Panthers. And uh, yeah, they're one of those teams that (laughs) are just going to be in the worst situation because they're not going to flop. They're actually going to play well the rest of the year, it seems like, or try to. Uh, But anyways, Foreman had uh, this was one of those calls. I think X talked about it in the podcast last week. And I was like, no way. Like, this is crazy. Um, but he got the vast majority of the work in that backfield last weekend. He had a like a decent game against the Bucks. So, um, yeah, playing him this week, I never thought I would pull the trigger on him. But because of his price and his role, he just really um, fit in there. So anyways, that was a little bit about me. But <clears throat> I do think that um, maybe slightly fluky from him because I feel like that game was slightly fluky in general. So definitely wouldn't chalk this up as a miss if you were not on him um, and you shouldn't f- be feeling super smart like me if you played him because 34.8 is probably his absolute ceiling there. So Tyreek Hill, <laughs> this, oh man, take a look, pull out your 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 DK live apps and look at these next three guys here. I'm going to list them all out at once. Tyree kill 34.5 Jalen Waddle, 33.6 to a Tago Bailoa 32.18. Oh man. These three dudes combined for 100 points. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier. This is what I talked about last week. This offense is so concentrated. These guys have so much floor, so much ceiling. This Lions defense is so bad. This was just an absolute smash spot for these guys, and they got there. And this is another one of those things where, um, you know, when we talk about ownership and stuff like that, it's just, it's so not worth... um, not playing that kind of certainty when there's so many other ways you can differentiate yourself. So all those guys definitely um, kind of, as as I said earlier, I think it was a little bit of a miss if you did not have at least one of them on your rosters. Uh, Final guy. I really don't even want to mention here in the thirties. I'll do it just because it's a rule. Um, But DJ Moore at 30.5. That blew a lot of things up. Uh, That is super fluky, by the way. So, um, yeah, DJ Moore can always produce, of course. But for, you know, you've got an 11 
uh, well, really 14 point play there, I guess, because you had not nah, 15, right? Because it's like 60 yard touchdown, six points for the touchdown, and he went over bonus. So, yeah, I mean, he, he can always produce a little bit, but um, just absolutely wild there. And this is, you know, totally unrelated. But for me, having him get that penalty afterwards, what a bum. Like, what a bum. Just act like you've been there before. You know, celebrate or whatever. Don't be an idiot. Don't put your team in that situation. I'm just I'm just an ultimate team guy, and I can't stand when you get guys acting all like that and all right i'll stop i'll stop okay that's it for fluke or fail we are over the hour mark but let's knock out these roster reviews and we'll call it a week all right starting with ck147677 we've got a lineup uh in a three dollar 20 entry max with 440,000 people. All right. Well, I'm going to just start with a disclaimer here. I am not your your go-to uh, large field guy. So, <laughs> um, not my style. Uh, so, you know, take everything I say here with a grain of salt, my, my friend CK and everybody else listening. But I'll give it a shot. So, we've got Kyler Murray... Paired with DeAndre Hopkins, bringing it back with Adam Thielen and Irv Smith. I'm just going to stop right there and say that I think that is a really sharp stack because you've got Kyler Murray at quarterback who people really aren't going to be playing. He's just not looked good this year. This offense has not looked good this year, but he's got his boy back in DeAndre Hopkins. RIP me. Um, so it totally changes the outlook of this offense as we saw last week and, and this week, apparently. So really like the start of the roster there. It's not going to be super chalky. You got Adam Thielen coming in at 5%. Um, kind of crazy to me that he was that low, but, uh, and then Irv Smith at 17, but you just got yourself a really, really solid start you're you're not playing you know we're in a massive field here ridiculously massive field so you're not playing um the the lions dolphins so you've kind of stayed away from that but you've built a stack that has some um legit upside here so love that start then this roster goes on to have both Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, who combined for a whopping 83 points between two running backs. I'm just going to stop here and say, if you get two guys that score over 40 on your roster, uh, things are looking pretty good. Things are pointing to you probably did some things right. Really necessary in a field this size. Um, so yeah, just building in a ton of upside between those two guys. Also, uh, Christian McCaffrey, 4% owned, even Camara, 11% owned, you know, you're getting 80 points there at this just very small ownership. And I doubt CK that you're sitting there thinking about ownership, right? You are just building a roster of guys that have upside. So love this so far. What are the remaining plays? We've got Braxton Berrios, Van Jefferson, and Jets D. Got a big goose egg from Berrios and Van Jefferson. Jets D, solid, right, for what they were. Eight points. So because this was kind of a hot topic this week, between Berrios and Van Jefferson, 
uh, it's the expectations piece, right? You know, you have to know who these guys are, the offense that you're playing in. Barrios, I, I, I understand why, uh, we, you know, we mentioned him and there are some talk around him. I just, you know, in this offense against a um, Patriots defense, you know, who aren't as locked down as I have been. I just don't love him. Uh, don't love him as a player. Just doesn't really hold upside. But makes sense given the guys that you can jam in there. And he's not uh, like a totally off the board, just like random play. Van Jefferson, we already went over that. Just on the wrong side of the coin there. Yeah, I think overall, this is a, a really solid lineup where you have a bit, a, you know, good backbone in terms of the stack, the story that I was telling. You have two running backs that were not the popular ones, but that have serious upside. You can't ask for much more You because then the other piece was uh, low price guys who have a chance to hit and maybe they don't and they didn't in this case, but uh that looks really good so anyways ck nicely done man and yeah better luck next time hopefully you hit on those plays when the entire field is not hitting <laughs> all right on to bryant ts24 uh let's take a look here single entry 400 person ten dollars so this is kind of the <clears throat> you know other end of the spectrum from what we just talked about so let's check out this lineup. We've got Justin Fields with Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney. Bring it back with... Um, ba -ba -ba. Sorry, I got two screenshots here. Uh, Tony Pollard. And yes, just Tony Pollard. So that's the stack there. So right away, to me, in a small field, uh, this is a little thin to stack Fields, Cole Komet, and Darnell Mooney. You just don't need to get that cute against a really strong Dallas defense. Yes, those guys, you know, the Bears are going to uh, have to keep up here because they're almost uh, for sure going to be getting smashed. The Dallas defense is just no joke. Uh, this offense has just had a hard time this year. I'm a Bears fan. I would know. Uh, not by choice, by loyalty. There's just yeah, I mean, next to no floor for these guys, and <clears throat> the ceiling is is pretty iffy. So, yes, it's uh, low ownership here, but in a 400 person field, you just don't need to don't need to get that cute with it. Tony Pollard, obviously uh, you're playing off of that. So that's great that you had him in there and got that done. Let's take a look at the other spots. Uh, we've got DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown bringing it back with Tyreek Hill. Love it. I think this is a super, super sharp uh, kind of secondary stack here. DeAndre Swift, Amon Ross St. Brown, was the combo that I really liked from the Lions this week. Nobody wanted to play DeAndre Swift. He also was, he was pretty expensive for what his role is and compared to, you know, guys like Alvin Kamara who uh, have like a true workout horse role. But these two guys are the upside pieces in this offense. And if Detroit is keeping up, it's very likely that a lot of it is going to go through them. 
Also playing both these guys together is kind of a nice way to differentiate and offset some higher ownership on Amandra St. Brown, who in this contest came in at 26%. And then bringing it back with Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean, dude's got major ceilings, uh, major floor in this offense too. He's just such a huge part of what they're doing. 30, 34% owned, but again, because of the nature of this stack, <clears throat> you can do that. So Bryant... T.S. Bryant's, uh, I, I, you know, I think what you're going for here was you were playing that uh, what you probably thought was chalky stack or your was chalky stack and then bringing it back with this other game stack of Bears Cowboys. So get where you're coming from. Uh, remaining pieces on this roster were Terry McLaurin and Cardinals D. Yeah, Terry McLaurin, uh, just, you know, a, a guy who has upside. This is one where you actually kind of like DJ Moore broke a little uh, lucky on because he got there on a bomb right at the end of the game for a game winner. Also, well, DJ Moore wasn't a game winner because he's a bum, but Terry McLaurin did that. That to me feels a little disjointed from the rest of this lineup. Maybe that was a price thing. Um, But that feels like a, a little bit of a random play just kind of pegged in here. So again, it's kind of hard to uh, review these sometimes without context, but that feels slightly random, which I know you got one receiver spot there, but um, somebody maybe from a different game environment didn't have to go low on because you already got that bear stack. Uh, and then Cardinals defense, I think that was sharp, didn't hit, but um, for the price and their aggressiveness, how they've been able to play this year, I think was solid. So, yep, just keep in mind when you're in a, a 400 person contest, you know, essentially anything under a thousand, but especially under 500, when you're in a couple hundred person field, you just have to build good lineups. You have to differentiate a little bit and you have to at least understand where the chalk is at, but you don't have to go off the board. You don't have to um, go you know, too far past the top two or three game environments to be building around. You know, it doesn't doesn't mean you can't have plays from the other games, but uh, nice job, man. And we'll see you again next week. Finally, we got MN Gopher 21. Uh, He sent me best and worst. I'm going to go through one of these because of time here. Let's go through best. Because, you know, that's a little bit more fun. All right. We got Jared Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown, bringing it back with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. This is really sharp uh, because of its game environment. I think it was sharp to play Jared Goff. Uh, he was 5% in what you got here. But yeah, that was actually one of my favorite plays was playing Jared Goff because 2-0 was going to be pretty heavily owned. Um, I actually liked playing... Hill, Waddle, and Mostert with with no Tua um, because of the the scoring came through those guys and Goff was able to keep up through St. Brown. I don't think, you know, even though you played a quarterback, uh, I don't think you needed to play him with more than St. Brown just because he's the main guy and then everything else can be kind of spread out. So I think that is a really sharp um, stack there. And then we've got Tony Pollard and Dante Foreman in the running back slots. Really, really solid from a 
just the the role and opportunity standpoint, right? Everything we talked about, those two guys, they were pretty much the most solid guys on the slate from a um, a pricing, you know, price considered a value standpoint. I would throw Mostert in there too, given what he's been for that offense and the matchup. Those were the really the three guys. So well done there. Irv Smith. Yep. We all know uh, why we were playing him in that environment. And Arizona is not great against tight ends. Just didn't get there. And then we've got Robbie Anderson in the flex. Zero points. Raiders at defense. Zero points. Yeah. I mean, you're sitting at an 81 or a 181.94 total score here. If, you know, Irv catches a touchdown and Robbie Anderson does anything and the Raiders defense does anything, um, you know, you're you're looking at over 200. Even this week, that didn't do all that much, but uh, really, really sharp setup here. This is one of those situations where the state of the week is really what torpedoed you. It is less because of your lineup. The lineup is sharp. Um, just didn't get there on a week where you had to have the nuts. That actually provides us a perfect ending point because that uh, brings us to what do we learn this week? Well, we learned that DFS is hard. I feel like I say that every week. Uh, DFS is especially hard on weeks when it is really high scoring because you can still have a lot of great plays yourself. But as I just said, in reviewing MN Gophers lineup, if you weren't on the nuts, you weren't making any quiche. Um, so don't be too hard on yourself on these weekends because it is, yeah, it's just really hard to get in the money when you had to have it all right. So um, take everything with a grain of salt. If you're feeling uh, demoralized, shake up your play a little bit. And I bet that uh, with a little bit of a down week, I see some of you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend. 